You wore me out of my checks. Yeah, man. I, I know, man. I'm sorry about that, dude. But, I mean, you guys are fucking dicks. You come here, you think the chick's gonna go for it because you got some Ox 45? Hey, these are talls, man. Yeah. 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 Two teenagers embark on a quest to get stoned, drunk, and laid. Listen as we chat about Good Charlotte on Classic Rock Radio, a surprisingly good-looking eyeball, and the old peeing in an ice tray prank. Then we find out if the stoned age stands the test of time. Time, James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with the blood. Alan says as a father, blah blah. It's the test of time, James and Alan have their say. The movies you love still hold up today? Test of time, James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. My name is Alan Noah, and your name is, I want to say, Billy? I'm James Brief. We've known each other since college, over 20 years. It's not uh, Mikey, it's not Archimedes, it's James. Very simple name. James Brief. I didn't guess Archimedes, I guessed Billy. (laughs) Whatever. You kind of look like a Billy. You gotta give me that. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to our fourth and final November fan request episode. I think it's fun to do movies that our listeners have asked for. We have a lot of movies that people have asked us to do, and frankly, we have a bit of a backlog, and in 2022, we're not just going to wait till November. We got to do more of these and, and get to some more that we have on the list. But for the movies that we've talked about so far this month, people have asked us to do in sort of normal ways. Pleasantville, our friend Mike emailed us and said, hey, I want to come back on the podcast. Let's talk about Pleasantville. Iron Giant, Matt from season 14, Time for a Podcast, he reached out to us on Twitter. Dances with Wolves, we did because Matthew Salinas reached out to us on Facebook. Today, we're talking about The Stoned Age, which was requested by our friend Mailer. He did not request this movie via email, via Twitter, via Facebook, He sent me something in the mail. I have it. I'm going to show it to you, James. This is what he sent me. It is a DVD of The Stoned Age with a post-it on the front that says, Please review on TTOT. I think it's safe to assume he meant the test of time. Usually when I abbreviate it, I just do TOT. But yeah, you you can take a look at at the DVD there. Yeah, there's a typo on here. Oh, on the DVD cover, it does not have the umlauts over the O, which uh, is in the official title. That is correct. That is weird. It also has a great tagline. I don't know if you saw that at the top of the DVD. It says, better than dazed and confused. I did see that. I saw that when I Googled because I never heard of this film. And I had to Google just to kind of even like see where I could find this and... uh, because there's no box office information about this film. <laughs> um, and I did see that quote, better than Dazed and Confused. And how the hell did Mailer find out about this film? So there's a little bit of a funny story there. It's not a hilarious story. But the thing about The Stoned Age is this is a movie that they used to run on Comedy Central a lot. Why? I don't know. I guess it was cheap to get the rights. That has to be it. Yeah. And 
I saw it probably a couple times because I was just bored at some point in the 90s and this movie was on. And at one point during college, somebody was drinking a can of beer in one of those taller cans, the ones that have a few more ounces in them. It was either me or Mailer who said, oh, these are talls, which is a line from this movie. And he and I like got the reference that the other one said, and we kind of bonded over that. Like this really random movie that most people have not seen, but a couple people have seen on Comedy Central, or at least Mailer and I had, and we like got this really random, obscure, deep cut pop culture reference, and we bonded over it, and you know, it just kind of became a little thing. Many, many years ago, Mailer got me a VHS copy of this movie and gave it to me as a gift. I had it on my shelf for many years. I threw it out when I threw out all of my VHS tapes. Mailer was a little offended. And after he sent me this DVD, I asked him if he wanted to come on the episode and talk about this movie with us. He said, no, I want you guys to review it. And on the episode, I want you to announce that you have gone completely digital and have thrown out all your DVDs. Like I threw out all my VHSs. And that's not true. I have not thrown out all of my DVDs. I still have some of them. But yeah, this is a very, very specific request that Mailer saw it. I saw it. It helped cement our friendship. So it's important in that way. And you know what? Honestly, I am very curious if any of our other listeners had a similar experience where they saw this movie on Comedy Central and just watched it because, hey, what the hell is this? It's on. I'm bored. If you have, please write to us at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I'm just genuinely curious. I would love to know. But you had never seen this movie, heard of this movie, knew that this movie existed? Not at all. Like I said, I could not find an entry in the box office databases that I use. Like, I doubt this film got a major release. And the plot is pretty straightforward. It's just one night in the 1970s. It involves a group of teenagers, and they just cruise around the suburbs of Los Angeles. They're doing some drugs. You know what they're looking for, Al? They're looking for some baby chickens. No, 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 no. They're looking for female companionship. They just use the word chicks a lot. Ah, yes, yes, yes. They do use the word chicks a lot. Yeah. And they start the film that way. They start the film with uh, text over uh, black screen. And it says, like, once upon a time, there were men, something, 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 who wanted to have fun, blah, 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 and get hot chicks. Right. And they don't say in that text on screen that it's the 70s. You're supposed to understand that it's the 70s because of a lot of references in the movie but there are some like continuity errors like things that are in backgrounds that don't make sense for the 70s because this movie was made in the 1990s on what I assume was a very low budget and it can be a little confusing like it wouldn't have hurt to just put you know 1977 on screen at one point early in the movie. Absolutely. Like, you could have easily done something like that. They could have been looking at a yearbook that says Class of 77. I thought it was just teenagers driving around a crappy car, you know, which could be from the 70s. Right, right. I was thinking of you during the opening credits because I know that you sometimes get bored during opening credits. And this movie's opening credits is 
a lot of shots of their car. And, like, it's got, like, a, a crazy psychedelic paint job with, like, a huge eyeball with a flame coming out of it. But after, like, three minutes of seeing the car, it's a little excessive. Yeah, but it also has Black Sabbath playing. It has Paranoid. It's, it's a great song. So I, I think in this case, I was like, I knew nothing about the film. And actually, I was like, all right, starting out some Black Sabbath. I love me some Ozzy. This is cool. Okay, all right. I was expecting you to be, like, mad right from the get-go. Oh, I was. I was <laughs> at the at the credits. But I was like, at least it's not just, like, some boring score or something. Okay, all right. Well, very quickly, you know, we get the quote-unquote plot, which, like you say, it's pretty paper-thin. There's a guy who's known only as Crump's brother, and he's looking for... These girls, he knows where these girls are going to be. They're going to be in Torrance across the street from the Frankie Avalon house. Frankie Avalon being, you know, that, uh, I think, 50s teen heartthrob? Maybe 60s? Something like that. He did, like, those beach movies with Annette Funicello. Right, right, right. Yeah, Frankie Avalon. Okay. Yeah. Uh, He knows where these girls are going to be, and he tells all of his crew, and one guy there is, is a kid named Tack, and Tack is like, ugh, Girls, all right, I'm going to use this information. And then we get to our two main characters, Joe and Hubs, and they are driving around. That's what they do. They cruise, and Hobbs is happy to do that. He's happy to just drive around and look for girls and look for, for drugs and look for alcohol. And Joe says that there's more to life than driving around Torrance, getting drunk, stoned, and laid. And not only is there a reference to Torrance, but they also later reference Palos Verdes, uh, which is where, like, the rich people hang out. And there's, like, a rich kid party in Palos Verdes. And I am a native New Yorker. I lived in New York my whole life. Torrance, Palos Verdes, these are just neighborhoods I know because my dad lives in California. So I appreciated that they name drop these towns. Do those names mean anything to you? I've heard of Torrance, but uh, I, I don't know what Palos Verdes is. But, you know, the, the cruising thing, this is very accurate. There's a lot of films uh, about 50s through, the, I guess, the 70s, your cruising era. That's what people would do. They'd just drive around, drive around town. American Graffiti will yeah. review that film. There's a lot of these kind of films. Um, there's a real fun little test of time thing. And that is uh, when, when Joe and Hubs are driving around, uh, a song by the Blue Oyster Cult comes on, Don't Fear the Reaper. I would say that a major reason why it's known today is for one reason. What would you say that is, Al? I genuinely don't know what you're referring to. I feel like it's played on classic rock radio pretty regularly. Yes, and most people don't listen to classic rock, Al. Says you. <laughs> okay. Really, you have no idea what I'm referring to? Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? No, no. Will Ferrell, Cowbell. Oh, yeah. Right, 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 right. I mean, that skit is funny for all of the reasons Will Ferrell and Christopher Walken and Don't Fear the Reaper does heavily use Cowbell. I feel like a lot of songs do, but I mean, that's the song they picked in that sketch. And yeah, you're right. That is a thing that people know. Yeah, now it's this really popular SNL sketch, and I would say it's kind of a, like you said, classic rock song, but Hubs doesn't think it's a cool song, and when Joe puts it on, I think it's an 8-track player, right, that they use? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's an 8-track player, he puts it on, and then Hubs does something, it's a very guy thing. 
teenagers, they will punch each other and they will put each other in headlocks. And it seems like they might be really hating each other, but it's just what guys do. And Hubs really doesn't like this song. He calls it a pussy song. Mm -hmm. And uh, he goes, we're not playing that pussy shit. And Hubs, who's driving, puts Joe in a headlock. The car like veers off the road a little bit. Like this is really dangerous. Yeah. I mean, they also throw around the F word a lot. As in, if you like this song, you must be an F-word. But not only does Joe love Don't Fear the Reaper, he also had like this spiritual experience at a Blue Oyster Cult concert when a laser hit him and he saw a giant eyeball. And he talks about that a couple times in the movie. Uh, But then as they're cruising around, they see Tack, who's their not really friend, I guess a guy they know and they drive by and spit on him but then Tack is like hey man I've got chicks I know where there are chicks let me in your car I'll take you to the chicks and then they're like oh well we want to find the chicks but they very quickly ditch him and the word that they use is worm they're going to try to worm his chicks which basically means steal his girls they look at girls as property they are your girls they're his girls i'm gonna steal your girls don't steal my girls and they just say it as don't worm my chicks oh yeah and this is not like that's my girlfriend like that's my girl later joe tells one of the girls oh yeah you're a crump's brother's chick and she's like who the hell is Crump and who's his brother? I have no idea who these people are. And he's like, yeah, well, he saw you and now you're his chick and no one else can have you. I thought this was like Crump's brother's like crush or something or he had like been sort of like into this girl first. No, he like spots this girl and just goes, chick. And now it's his chick. Right. They don't use the word dibs, but I mean, that's kind of the concept here. And Joe and Hubs, after they ditch Tack, they do decide to worm the chicks and they go over to this house and they ring the doorbell and this beautiful woman opens it. And, you know, she doesn't know who these guys are, but she says, well, we could hang out if you got me some 151 because all they have is this giant jug of peppermint schnapps. Peppermint what, Al? Schnapps. Say it like you just said it. I think I said schnapps. There's no way to know for sure. Yes, I said it wrong. Al says schnapps with a schnay. No, it's schnapps with a schnapp. You ruined that. (laughs) You ruined (laughs) And James says, shut up. Yeah, you ruined that. Uh, But no matter how you pronounce it, it's terrible and it's gross looking and they have some skank weed and this woman's not interested in it. And she's like, well, if you get me 151, we can hang. So now they're on a mission, right? They're going to go and they're going to get this 151 and they go to a liquor store and they've got a fake ID and they're maybe going to get away with buying it. But uh oh, the cops come in and then the guy's not going to sell them this alcohol with a fake ID and the cop kind of becomes like a recurring character kind of where he's keeps saying like, Oh, you think I didn't know what it was like to want to have beer when I was your age or want to get high when I was your age or whatever it is. And then he's like, they used to call me something. And I don't know. I felt like this gag always fell flat. They do it like three times in the movie. 
Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Bill Hader and Seth Rogen and Superbad, the cops, where they're like, we were uh, fun teenagers too at one point, but that really doesn't wind up being a payout because he keeps saying this line the whole time. And I wind up thinking there's going to be, uh, maybe the cop's going to be cool at the end or maybe he's going to bust something. No, he doesn't really do anything really for the plot. We see him again, but it doesn't really pay off. Right. It's just comic relief, but it's not really that funny. Uh, But luckily, I guess, Hub stole some 151, so he's able to take it back to the house and shows it to the beautiful woman, Lainey, who's there. Except it's not just Lainey. She's also there with her friend Jill. And it's actually Jill's dad's house. Jill and Lainey live somewhere upstate California. They're visiting. They're staying at Jill's dad's house. And while they're talking and flirting, the girls go into the bathroom. And while they're heading into the bathroom, Hub says, mention my name, you'll get a good seat. Which is totally a joke my dad says a lot. I don't know if he says it recently, but he definitely used to say that all the time. If you were in front of Rich Noah and you said, I'm going to go to the bathroom, he would say, mention my name, you'll get a good seat. Hashtag dad joke. Yeah, there's dad jokes and then there's total like teenage jokes. Like the second they go to the bathroom, they're like, don't do something stupid like piss in my dad's ice cube tray or something. And they immediately go and piss in the dad's ice cube tray. While they're in the bathroom, they're like, I bet they're pissing in my dad's ice cube tray right now. And then you do a smash cut to them doing that exact thing and snickering. I mean... I've heard of lots of juvenile pranks like that, but I've never heard of that specific prank. I mean, obviously it seems disgusting, but also it seems like a thing that would be very easily discovered. Absolutely. The rancid smell of urine in the freezer. Yeah. And it's not going to freeze right away. Uh, I, I thought it was a horrible idea. And they haven't hooked up with these girls yet. Like, you're you're still trying to. What are you doing, you morons? Yeah, there's a lot of that in this movie where it's just about, like, breaking shit and fucking shit up just for fun. I think at one point Hub says, we're going to fuck these girls doggy style and then shit on their parents' bed. It's like, whoa, what? Why do you need to do that? Well, that's somewhat realistic. I mean, teenagers are st- stupid and they do that like that's what they do there's a pool scene later and they just start throwing furniture in the pool i think that is actually somewhat realistic suburban kids nothing else to do yeah i think they're gonna do that fair enough fair enough but they ultimately end up going to this party in palos verdes the rich neighborhood and the guy whose party it is he lets the girls in but he doesn't let the guys in because he's a jerk and it's his house and he can get away with it did you recognize that actor by the way no who is it that is jake Busey. oh jake Busey. of course i know jake Busey. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. gary so, Busey's i uh, nephew or i don't think it's a, is his son i thought it was his son is it not his son no maybe it's his son um yeah yeah he's gary Busey's son But then that guy, played by Jake Busey, he tries to make a move on Lainey. Lainey doesn't like that, so she ditches the party. And she and Joe leave, just the two of them. Jill and Hubs are kind of left behind when the police raid the party. And Joe and Lainey go into the hot tub in the house across the street from Jill's dad. And here, Joe maybe has a chance to make a move on Lainey, but he doesn't because he's shy and he's nervous and he's waiting for the right moment. But then Hubs comes over and it's like, 
dude, what are you doing? She's not even naked. You're wasting your time. Let me show you how it's done. And he throws her into the pool and then starts making out with her. And then Joe is sad. Yeah, he does the typical, like, this is how you get a chick. You treat her like a total asshole. Because Joe had been talking to her. And and then Hubs comes in and he's like, I want to tell you a secret. And as he's whispering to her, he dunks her head underwater like, and holds it there for, like, two, three Mississippi. And then, like, she immediately wants to make out with him. And to be fair, his outfit is a leather jacket with no shirt on. Girls throughout this film just throw themselves at him. I think there's a little bit more than just his lines because he doesn't need to seem to even say anything. And girls will make out with him. Yeah, I think it's that he's hot and like he seems dangerous. I think at one point Jill says that like he's got, you know, the long hair and he's got his shirt open and I guess he's got some muscles so I guess he's good looking he basically reminds me of Matt Dillon in that movie we reviewed singles he kind of has that like cool long hair leather jacket rocker kind of guy yeah I guess I could see that so now Hubs and Laney are upstairs having sex but Joe is like sad and lonely and then Jill is also kind of pissed because now she's bored she doesn't have her friend And she's like, you need to go and get your friend and get out of here. And Joe kind of like opens the door and is like, hey, guys, Jill wants us to leave. And Hub says, listen, you need to take care of it. Go hang out with her. Jump on the grenade, which basically means hook up with the unattractive girl. Yeah, and I have to say, uh, the quote-unquote unattractive girl, when I first saw her, I'm like, she's obviously not really ugly. Like, you could clearly tell, yes, there's the blonde uh, sex bomb, and then there's this brunette, so she's supposed to be the quiet one, and, and the grenade, as they call her, but I'm like, this is so weird, because she's... She's an attractive woman. And I look her up, and, and her name is China Cantor. She was an MTV VJ. She's the daughter of a, of a Jefferson Airplane, uh, one of the people there. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, she's like this very famous person. I read in the trivia that they were reluctant to cast her because she was too pretty, and then they had to, like, make her look frumpier, more unattractive, whatever that means in Hollywood. Yeah, it didn't hide it at all. I mean, it looked like, yes, she was wearing like whatever overalls or like not Daisy Dukes thing. But I I thought it was weird because there are these other girls in the film. They call them the Buffalo Girls. And they're supposed to be these three supposedly ugly girls. Yeah, I think they're a little more like, I wouldn't call them ugly, ugly, but they're definitely more like they're, they're not hot. But this girl, I I thought it was weird casting. I did. I just looked it up. She's a daughter of Grace Slick. I didn't know that. That's awesome. And Paul Kantner, two of the people from Jefferson Airplane. Now that I know that, there is a little bit of a resemblance with her and Grace Slick. That's so cool. I had no idea. Also about those three girls at the very end of the movie, there's only two of them. And there's like a joke about like, well, three was messing up the ratio Apparently, that was kind of unscripted because one of the three actresses just quit like during the movie and they just now only had two. So they just kind of improv that line. That is a funny line. I, I actually I think that's that's well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's a good way to kind of uh, cover it, I guess. Can I mention those, those Buffalo Girls? We mentioned this guy, Tack. And there's not just Tack who's looking for these chicks. There, There's like... 
10 guys who I guess back then they were kind of just desperate versions. Maybe today, maybe incel-like because they're oh, yeah. like, they go insane when they hear there might be a quote-unquote chick inside. And yep. these Buffalo girls come by a few times in the film like, hey, boys, and everyone's like, ew, ew, and... I don't believe for a second these guys wouldn't have hooked up with them. Right. I, I just thought that was weird. Like, they're looking for chicks anywhere. Like, I think they mentioned at one point there's a 35 to 1 ratio of guys to girls at this one party. So these guys are so desperate. There's three women here, like, throwing themselves at you. Yeah, but when Joe is talking to Tack, Tack is like, well, I can't get any girls because of my acne. And Joe says, well, maybe you could meet a girl who has acne and then you could bond over that. And what does Tack say? Ew, I don't want no girl with zits. And one of the guys in their crew is wearing a T-shirt that says no fat chicks. That character is a little overweight. So it's like the double standard. The man can look like whatever, but the woman has to be a supermodel. And yeah, of course, it's unrealistic. And I'm not defending it at all. But if these guys are teenagers, maybe that's just the way teenagers think. No, I, I agree that they would say that, but I still think like they would want to hook up with them. I didn't think there would realistically be a group of girls that are throwing themselves at these guys that uh, that they would say no. But I think I'm overthinking it. They're more for comedy relief than, than for uh, actually trying to throw themselves. Oh, James, you always overthink everything. That is so you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Joe is like, okay, I guess I have to throw myself on the grenade and hook up with Jill. But Jill's not at all interested. She tells him to back off. She, like, smacks him. She knees him in the balls. She says, get away. And Joe doesn't. He keeps on following her, which in a 2021 lens, you look at that and you're like, okay, no, he really needs to back the fuck off. But because it's a movie, then they bond, then they get to know each other, they talk, they're starting to find some things in common. But then Tack and all of his crew show up at the house, and they're expecting that they're easily going to have sex with the one hot girl. They're all okay to, like, take turns with Lainey because she's so beautiful. Tack has seen her. He knows what she looks like. And the reason why he's so convinced that they'll all be able to have sex with her is because he shows up with talls, with the tall beer cans, which is the whole thing that Mailer loves. By the way, Mailer also did give me a specific request that that is the opening clip you need to find for the very beginning of this episode. Good luck finding that clip. That's on you. That's a specific request. Um, but all these guys are outside and Jill kind of ditches Joe outside, but then she feels bad because he's kind of defending her when all the guys are saying that Jill is ugly. He's like, well, I wouldn't kick her out of bed. And then that's enough of a compliment, I guess, for Jill to let him back in the house. Oh, yeah. And Jill and Joe are sitting on the couch and then Jill just gets up and goes, I'm taking a dump. I need you to know that. Right. And while she does that, Joe instantly starts getting really nauseous and he has to vomit. He's been drinking some 151 and he's he's got a lot of stuff going on in that tummy. And they smoked the skank weed right before that? Yes, uh, they smoked some uh, weed and she's in the bathroom. Presumably there's another bathroom in the, the parents' bedroom, but that's inside the bedroom. So Joe is basically locked out of both bathrooms. 
bathrooms right now because his buddy is having sex with Lainey upstairs. And so he has to vomit somewhere. He can't go outside because the, all the incels are outside and they'll basically try to you know rush the house if he opens the door. Right. He does go past the kitchen and there's a sink there. Right. But he does go past that and he goes and he vomits in the only logical place he could think of. If you don't have a barf bag or a toilet or a sink, what's the next best place to vomit? Under a couch cushion? No, underneath the father of the girl you're trying to hook up with, his couch cushion. Yeah, I feel like there's like a plant too, right? Like, wouldn't you go for like the plant? Yes, but you know, I I can imagine he makes a bad decision here and that's realistic. Yeah, I mean, I think it's supposed to be really funny, but I don't think it is. It's not that funny, but uh, eventually... uh, Hubs comes downstairs, he emerges from the bedroom, uh, Lainey's still asleep, and he goes, hey, I talked to Lainey, and uh, she feels a little bad because earlier in the pool, like, Hubs kind of took her from Joe, and he's like, I told her it's your birthday, and she'll give you a blowjob if you want. And he just goes like, all right, man, have, have a good time up there. Joe goes up to the bedroom, and then he looks at this naked woman who is kind of passed out, she's drunk, passed out. And, She's fast asleep. Yeah, fast asleep. And, you know, he basically is thinking, you know, I could have my way with her. And instead, he has a flashback. This thing has been referenced several times so far in this film. He flashes back to the Blue Oyster Cult concert where a laser beam uh, zaps him in the eye. And suddenly you finally see what the hell he was talking about. He suddenly gets this image of a giant eyeball staring at him. I mean, there's a little, like, psychedelic dream sequence, but essentially a big eyeball looks at him, and he suddenly sees the universe, and, you know, he's enlightened, etc., etc., and he comes back down to Earth, you know, comes back out of his flashback, and he decides, no, I am not going to take advantage of this young woman because that is not what an enlightened man does. Right. It's also like a 2001 parody. He sees himself as an old man, and then he's in space drinking a tall, like a bottle kind of a thing. Yeah, I I find 2001 references usually to be painfully unfunny. And this was, I think, a very unfunny reference, I have to say. I didn't like this scene. Yeah, the whole drug flashback thing isn't that funny. I was thinking about like the drug-induced hallucination scene in Harold and Kumar go to White Castle where he's like marrying the giant bag of pot. Like that's pretty funny. Yeah, that's funny. That's the difference. Yeah, this is not funny. I will say that eyeball was a lot better looking than I thought it would be. Not to say it was good looking. (laughs) I thought it was going to be atrocious and I'm surprised that in 1994 they were able to do it even this decent. Yeah, and Joe is proud of himself for doing the right thing and not sexually assaulting this passed out girl. But then he comes out of the room and he sees that Hubs is making out with Jill. Like, what the hell? Hubs already had Lainey. Now he's making out with Jill and Joe is really pissed. But he doesn't have a chance to get too pissed because then Crumb's brother shows up and he's looking for his chicks. And he's a big, scary guy. They reference that he beat the crap out of some Samoan, and that's why he went to prison, and he just got out of prison. Wouldn't this make this guy not a minor? Like, what is he, like, 23, trying to score with some high school chicks? Yeah. And, like, Crump's brother is, like, breaking down the door to get in, and then they run into the kitchen, and they're, like, smoking. Like, well, we're going to have our asses kicked, but 
man, it was worth it. That That's what Hub says because he had sex with Lainey and he's happy. He had sex with Lainey and hooked up with uh, Jill. Yes, correct. But then like while they're smoking this last cigarette before they get killed by Crump's brother, like it's taking a while. Like why hasn't he come in and killed them yet? Like he was pretty far through the door when they ran into the kitchen. It turns out that Jill's father showed up and he's beaten up Crump's brother and the entire gang of incels. He's just beating the crap out of everyone. He's not like an exceptionally in shape athletic dad. He looks like just a regular dad. No, and I know you'll love this reference to me making fun of this, but uh, this was like William Shatner trying to do action scenes in the Star Trek films that we saw. This did not look realistic in the tiniest bit. You can easily get a 50-year-old guy that looks like he can kick ass. Sure. This guy was not that guy. Right, right. But then he chases down Joe and Hubs. Hubs, like, throws himself out of the second-story window, and then it's just Joe, and Joe is the dad's prisoner. The dad calls the police, and then he goes, stay right here, and he goes to the kitchen to get himself some ice for his whiskey, and I'm like, why aren't you running, Joe? But but he doesn't, and the joke here, the reason he doesn't run for the plot purpose is that the dad is not just getting any ice cubes. He's getting what we find out is the piss cubes. Right, and he doesn't notice that he's drinking piss Even though there's like, I don't know, two fingers worth of whiskey and like two ice cubes, he's going to notice. Nice, uh, nice bartender reference there, Al. What, two fingers? Yeah. I mean, I don't drink whiskey, but I know people who do. Yeah, well, well, you're talking the talk. The dad does notice that it tastes weird. He like looks at it, but he doesn't say anything. It could be really bad whiskey. That's kind of like, it kind of tastes like piss, maybe. Who knows? Maybe. It kind of made me think of that scene in Mallrats with like the pretzels, you know, like after uh, he wipes his ass and then the guy's licking his fingers. When you watch that scene, you're just like, oh my God, it's gross. Like you Like you cringe when you see it. In this, it's just like, Oh, it's weird that he doesn't notice. Eh. You know, and and he's sitting on the couch with like the little green puke kind of like trickling down and he doesn't seem to notice that. No, but I have to say at this point, the film has two main stars. It's Joe and Hobbs. And I'm thinking, what a fucking dick Hobbs is. I mean, yeah, there's some stuff that's just, you know, boys beating each other up and that's fine. But why does he have to keep going after the girl that that Joe's into? Even hooking up with Lainey was probably a dick move. And I'm thinking, this guy's not his friend at all. Until he finally redeems himself here. And while Joe's being held captive, and the police are like 20 seconds away, and apparently the police respond really quickly in the 70s when uh, when, when someone calls about a teenage house party. Yeah. Hubs breaks down the window with like some steel beam. It seems like, where'd he get this thing? Oh, I thought maybe it was like a, like a flag pole or something. Something I don't know. like that. But he breaks the window and he's like, liberation! And then him and Hubs, uh, they escape. And they escape, but they run to the front of the house where they see the cops have arrived. And they're arresting uh, Chubb's brother and Tack and all those guys. So they run back around to the back. And uh, before they're able to escape, Jill comes out. And because uh, Joe earlier, when the dad was trying to intimidate them, and he's like, you know, you don't know anything about these girls. Like, he's trying to defend them and being like, you're such an asshole to them. And then actually the girls realize, this guy that we were kind of calling the loser of the two, he's, he's not that bad. Jill comes out and tells Joe, like, 
hey, I'm going back to, where is she from, Northern California or yeah. something? She's like, I'm going back to my home uh, you know, in a day or so, but I'm going to be by this summer, and I'd really like to see you again. Or if you're in my area, you should give me a call. And he goes, I'll look you up, you know, test the time thing. I'll look you up in the phone book. Even in 1994, totally a standard thing to do. And so he's like, you know, easy name, Jill. Got it. Uh, what's your last name? And then she says, my last name is Wajakakowitz. And, you know, I thought that joke was good. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of funny. And then, you know, they're driving away. They see some old guy who's looking for the Frankie Avalon house. It's Frankie Avalon in a cameo. Ah, I didn't understand that. And I'm guessing you didn't either. No, I got it. Really? You you knew that was Frankie Avalon? Yeah. There's a movie I was thinking about we could maybe do for the podcast. It's called Back to the Beach, which is like a 80s, 90s version of like Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello reunite. And it's kind of like a parody of their old movies from the 50s and 60s. And I never saw the old movies, but I saw that 80s movie. I was definitely missing a lot of context, but I recognized him that that was the guy. Okay. But I give him credit whenever someone is willing to kind of poke fun at themselves. I think that's pretty fun. I I respect someone for doing that because he's basically like, hey, near that Frankie Avalon house, I heard there's some chicks. Yeah. It definitely doesn't make him look good that he's looking for these young chicks, but... The joke itself, I think it works more if you recognize this actor, but I didn't, but now it's just some old dude. Right. And then while they're driving away, Hubs is like berating Joe for like not hooking up with Jill and, oh, you just got her name? You're going to call her? The whole point is they are going back upstate, not that you call her later. And Joe's like, no, I like talking to her. She's cool. And Hubs is like, what on earth are you talking about? She's cool? And then Joe does to Hubs what Hubs did to Joe earlier. And he, like, puts him in a headlock, even though he's driving. And is like, say that she's cool. Say that she's cool. And he admits it. Okay, she's cool. And the movie ends with text on screen that says, no chicks were harmed in the making of this film. I actually thought that was kind of funny. Did you keep the movie on for the post credit scene? No, no, I didn't. What is oh, it? Oh, there is a post credit scene where Joe and Hubs are like outside of a store and these two guys are trying to sell them t-shirts, Blue Oyster Cult t-shirts, and Joe and Hubs are like, oh, these are bootlegs. These aren't real. And the guys are like, oh, man, we were selling them for too much money. We were trying to get $5 and we should have only asked for $4. But the two guys who were selling the t-shirts, they're two of the guys from Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many people, one, stayed in the theater during the credits for a post-credit scene in this movie, two, would just recognize Eric Bloom and Donald Roser from Blue Oyster Cult, but I'm guessing not a ton of people? Well, your problem with the premise of your question is, where did you say people were staying late in where? The theater? Yeah, see, I'm not convinced this film ever made it to a theater. I'm going to assume it did. Also, maybe they kept the post credit scene in when they aired it on Comedy Central, or maybe not. Maybe they did the thing where they play the credits on, like, 32x speed. Right, right. but they usually played the post credit scene. They usually played that on full screen. Like, right after the film ends, they go right to the post credit scene, and the, you know, 128 times speed is on the bottom, or on the right, you know, 10% of the screen. Right. That's usually what they did. Right, right. 
So that brings us to the end of the Stone Age. What do you think, Al? Does this movie stand the test of time? Well, and Al, are you ditching your DVD collection and going all digital? <laughs> no, Mailer, I'm not. Sorry. Um, it's funny. For a movie called The Stoned Age, I felt like there was a lot more references to alcohol than there were to pot. They are stoners and they do talk about weed at some points, but it felt like that wasn't the main crux of the movie. That's a very good point. Yeah, they, they talk about weed a little bit, but easily Bacardi 151, or, or 151 as they call it, and talls are way more prominent than weed. Yes, absolutely. I referenced Harold and Kumar go to White Castle earlier. Uh, we also reviewed Super Troopers on the podcast. I believe those are the only two other stoner comedies we've done. And those two stoner comedies are a lot funnier than this movie. This movie is supposed to be a stoner comedy, but it's not too heavy on the stoner, and it's very light on the comedy. It's just not as funny as Super Troopers or Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle. It's just not. Like, I didn't laugh out loud really at all. Um, I definitely chuckled at the line when the guy says, these are talls, because I was thinking about Mailer, but... It's not really funny. It's not interesting. It's not good <laughs> in any way, right? Like, you, you can't call this movie good. It's pretty fucking terrible. And again, thinking about Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, when we talked about that movie, we were saying how it was almost surprisingly deep in, like, the kinds of things that they were saying about, like, racism and what it's like to be an Asian American and an Indian American. And... There were a couple of points in this movie where I thought like, okay, maybe they're going to go somewhere interesting where these chicks that are Crumb's brother's property, they're going to say, hey, no, we're not. This is stupid. This is bullshit. We are our own people. What the fuck are you talking about? And they do that kind of a little bit. But not really. The girls are just objects. They do have their own agency. They do say no. Lainey has sex with Hubs when she wants to, and Jill knees Joe in the crotch and tells him to back off. But this isn't like any female empowerment thing going on. The women are objects here. And it might be true of many teens trying to get laid movies that many of them are guilty of that, and many of them don't stand the test of time. There are many more in that genre that we can watch. But um, I just found this movie to just be like, disappointing like I was sad I was excited to watch this movie again like oh yeah that movie that Mailer and I used to joke about but uh yeah it's bad it's not funny it's not good on any level no it does not stand the test of time James I'm guessing you agree with me uh, actually, I don't, Al. You said it's not good on any level. I'm going to tell you a couple levels this film is not only good, but very good. One, the soundtrack. Surprisingly very good for the budget. And I kind of wonder if they might have gotten the sweet spot where you have your late 70s songs that are not quite appreciated as classic rock yet. So they might not be as expensive. It's like kind of getting like a 2006 uh, song now. Like... Good Charlotte may not be that expensive now, but in 20 years when that's what's going to be playing on classic rock. And so then it might be more expensive. Oh, I really hope that Good Charlotte is never on any classic rock radio. Ugh, gross. Ugh, ugh, ugh. 
do you think they're going to stop with uh, <laughs> grunge and that's it? No, they can do other 2000s rock, just not Good Charlotte. I am specifically singling out that band. So it'll be all Maroon 5? Uh, no, Maroon <laughs> 5 isn't rock. That's pop. Good, good Charlotte is at least rock, not good rock, but I think that's at least rock and roll, maybe, barely, I don't know. Either way, this soundtrack is all classic rock, and I think the soundtrack is very good. Yeah. I think this main actor, I think this guy Michael Coppola, who doesn't seem to have had a, a big career after this, I thought he was very good. There was something about him, his, his like red hair, he kind of looked like a well-cast, everyday guy. I think he's a good actor. You touched on it. He almost has a few insightful scenes, but he doesn't quite say the line he's trying to say. So I think the character Joe is actually almost there. The main problem is what you said in the end. It's not funny. That's the real problem with this film. It's not a funny film. I read a little piece of trivia that this was based on a short film that the director made called Tax Chicks, which was, I guess, that character Tack and the director, James Melkonian. He played Joe in that original short, and maybe there was some funny little stuff in there, but this does not make an entire film. It's possible that they made a funny little eight-minute short. But this is not good in 90 minutes. It could be. Just the dialogue's not there. I I laughed maybe once or twice, but it was more like, oh, (laughs) eh, no chicks harmed in this film. Eh, That's a lame joke. Okay, I get it. Um, But yeah, for me, I'm going to agree that this film does not stand the test of time. Sorry, Mailer. (laughs) Right, yeah. Sorry, Mailer. Also, uh, the guy who plays Tack, I did recognize him. I wasn't sure exactly what I recognized him from. But he was on Westworld. He was in Veronica Mars. The actor's name is Clifton Collins Jr., though he's credited in this movie as Clifton Gonzalez Gonzalez. He was in the Star Trek reboot, by the way. I only know that because I pulled up his uh, IMDb. Yeah, and I had to look this up. He's the grandson of another famous uh, character actor, Pedro Gonzalez Gonzalez. He was John Wayne's sidekick in a bunch of films. I thought it was almost like a joke. But actually, it turns out it's not his real name. And Collins is his birth name. And the Gonzalez Gonzalez was a tribute to his grandfather. So it is a real name. It's not a joke, but it's a tribute, and he doesn't make that tribute anymore. So, that's it. Okay, thank you for clearing up this mystery that no one was thinking about at all. Good job, good detective work, good Googling. So, thank you, Mailer, for sending in your request. Sorry we said no. To the rest of our listeners, if there's a movie you want us to review, let us know. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us, thetestoftimepodcast at gmail.com. We want to know what movies you want us to talk about. Next week, we're going to be talking about a movie that is not a request, but it's a movie we've got to do. We're going to enter The Matrix. That's right, The Matrix Resurrections is coming out soon, and we're going back to the original trilogy. We're going to start with The Matrix, then The Matrix Reloaded, and then The Matrix Revolutions. Our friend Uri Moskowitz is going to join us next week. It's going to be a great episode. Can't wait for that. Be sure that you're subscribed on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. Write us a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the show. We appreciate that. And uh, we'll see you next week, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.